0: true i've hit the red button just because i don't want to i don't want this to get away from us like it's welcome welcome to the show it's like hey curtains are open yeah like we're sitting here talking we're just sitting here blabbing all the good stuff is just rolling out right now hey it is uh, a beautiful sunny day in the dell valley a light dust has accumulated over the valley for the last couple of days actually it's a smog of dust and we haven't seen the mountains in about a week and a half uh COVID is doing what COVID is doing, and 2020 is flexing as hard as it as it can. And in the middle of all of this rigmarole crap, we were looking at people that we should bring onto the podcast. And there's somebody that's got a story that's amazing, but at the same time, and I say that about everybody, I'm always like, hey, the next guest is going to be absolutely amazing. Not to take anything away from you, Marcy. <laughs> But you better have your A game on right now if you're going to oh, step goodness. this thing up. The, the, the thing about Marcy is I always tell people that I raised her, but actually her and my sister were friends growing up. Still our friends grew yes. up mm-hmm. um, and they were my babysitters. They would all go buy beer and shove me in the closet and just give me a piece of pizza. That would I, that's fun. a very
1: true statement. I'm surprised you turned out as well as you did.
0: You know, the jury's still out. My wife says. Well, yeah. Yeah. And God bless Katie, because she's got to put up with all of the long lasting effects of being shoved into the closet. And we're not talking. I'm not gay. No, no, no,
1: we literally locked them in a room and gave them at the time you had, I think Nintendo had just come out. And so you had a Nintendo and pizza and you were not allowed to come out of the room because we were babysitting you and having a party in the other room.
0: This just, you know, high quality,
1: high quality childcare.
0: My brain works like a squirrel, but are you into video games? Not at all. Yeah. Are your kids? Yes. Okay. What you... I mean, I'm going to try to listen to me even try to get it out of my mouth. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even talk. Um, By the way, in case you guys are wondering, since you can't see him, uh, the one and only legendary Maj is here. Hey, Jay. Hey, what's up, buddy? Just podcasting. Just podcasting. <laughs> and then we brought Brandon in, too, because every now and then, Marcy, you'll get to understand this. We'll be talking about something and you need that left field appearance. You need somebody that just comes in and you're just like, what in the hell did they just say? that's that's well. that's Brandon as Perfect. long as he doesn't have anything to drink because he slurps when he drinks I, I have a drink everyone would take a sip no please don't
2: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so we've got Brandon GM of del valley we've got the GM of chaff AMJN, and and they'll be adding to our story I asked the question about video games because I struggle with video games I don't personally play them I don't own a whatever to control or whatever. because you call it. Your
1: children are still small.
0: Yeah, I know. And I, and that's the thing that I have got to get to. Yeah. I understand that they're probably going to want to play video games, but you're a restauranteer, right? <laughs> yeah. So before we tell your story, a lot of your employees probably play video games constantly. See, and that's the thing that I don't understand. And I am not picking on somebody that works in a restaurant because that's, my wife was a subway sandwich artist. Um, and she worked at Adelaide's and she worked at Lorenzo's and yes yeah, so- yeah, I mean that's what you do when you're growing up
1: in crisis. you work in restaurants e- exactly I actually to time it up for this just for a second I walked in the other day and one of my good friends eight year old is playing a video game and I looked at him and I go what and I'm looking at the screen and it, and there's this little narrative right and the person's like you'll have eight customers and they have not been waited on you'll need more staff and I was like what are you playing he's like oh it's a video game where you learn how to run a restaurant I was like you have gotta be kidding me. First, first I was really angry that that happened. And then I was really twice as pissed that I didn't come up with that idea. <laughs> I was like, kid, if you want to go learn to run at the restaurant, just, you know, come with the Marcy up, to work, right. But yeah, it was like this whole thing. And there was these customers and they were ordering things and, and you know, even then the video, the servers still were like not doing their job. And I was like, oh, it's like life. Um, but yeah, I was really shocked. I was like, there is a video game on how, cause you know, my kids, my kids certainly don't play video games on how to run a restaurant. They can see that at work. They, you know, play what I don't understand video games where they just go around in circles and and I don't know what they do. Well, that, there's no point to it in my mind.
0: It just, to me, it just seems like it wastes your creativity. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm I'm not, I'm not saying that playing a video game is bad. And there's a lot of people that say it actually increases high end eye hand coordination and it increases your creativity because you want to, you know, as a you know, kid.
1: I'll say this. And I read this quote the other day. Yes, I agree. It increases your hand eye coordination. But somebody was talking, I was reading something the other day and it said, you know, Today's children and today's youth have so much stimulus and they require, you know, every, their attention spans eight seconds. There's been, you know, and you know, in marketing, you've had st- tons of studies about this, it's me. but they said the problem is, is that no one's bored anymore. And so no one learns to entertain themselves. They don't learn to think outside the box. They don't learn to pick up a guitar and start strumming and have music. because so they have nothing else to do. They don't learn to draw because they're not drawing, you know, they're not bored. They're not doing anything. They said, nobody is doing any, you know. Wild thinking because of the fact that their brains are constantly stimulated. I mean, if you think of all the things that we've thought of doing in our lives, you know, we usually had those thoughts. I was going to be president by now. Well, I mean, I think, still think you could be. Uh you know, if you want to move back home, I'm pretty sure we could get you elected governor of New Mexico <laughs> without a problem. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's, I, I agree with you. It's interesting because you look at it and there's so many people that, and I don't know why if they're not entertained. They cannot think for themselves or entertain themselves or think outside the box for creative solutions. Well, we've, I've,
0: I've had this conversation with Brandon. You've got a video game console yeah. and every now and then when the boys are playing, you'll jump in and, and or if nothing's going on, you'll play a video game. Yep. And, and what, what kind of status this podcast is not about video games, by the way, but it's just one of those. I drove all the way down here to talk about video games. and so I don't know anything about them. <laughs> Well, apparently you can run a restaurant from one. So. I know. I, I,
1: I probably should have done that before actually investing millions of dollars. I should have just played the dumb video game and found out I wasn't very good at it. Did they have that
3: video game out when you started, though? I,
1: I, I don't think they no, did. I did not think so. I think when I started, you know, you still would end up with those the crosses on your thumbs from the tiny little oh, okay. controller. Was that Nintendo Pac-Man? I mean, I'm old enough to remember that Pac-Man came out, and I was like, oh, my God, this is revolutionary. The
0: thing, the thing about it, though, is when it when it's game over does it say no soup for you? <laughs>
1: no soup for you. <laughs> like
0: I just wondering.
1: I I didn't wait that long. I, I couldn't take it. I was like what are you doing? <laughs> oh my gosh. So why do you
0: play a video game, Brandon?
1: Um
4: you know this is kind of interesting because we've had this conversation. Um
0: I was listening to Temple Grandin ooh, probably a year ago. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So so background on on Temple she is um autistic. Yes. Um and she is known for The handling of livestock in a way that makes them extremely gentle, um, allows them to naturally gain uh, muscle and and fat um, by being in a calm environment. So just even the flow of the way your corrals are set up um, to the way that you interact with them when you're working, that animal has been revolutionary. But she does not give a rat's ass what you think about her. And she does not care about what anybody else thinks. I mean, it's the most amazing thing to watch her in, in, in a room. She will say exactly what she thinks. She's extremely autistic uh, and loud, but does an unbelievable job. So anyways, you were listening to her.
4: Well, and she's extremely smart, like just crazy smart. Mm-hmm. But she was talking about video games and these kids. And she said the mistake parents are making is not is stopping their kids from playing. She said what you need to do is limit play. She said, if you look at schools, it used to be you had, like, workshop, woodshop, extracurricular activities. She's like, those aren't there anymore. Not like they used to be. The creativity building time that used to be in schools no longer exists like it used to, right? And she's like, you know, when you talk about these kids playing, like, Minecraft, she's like, you don't know what that's doing. Like, that's incredible building and and imagination, like these imaginative games. Mm -hmm. So her thing was, excuse me let them play but limit and she's like these kids are solving problems now that we we don't even know exist that we'll never have to deal with in technology
0: well the, the crazy thing is it, marcy you said that that people are not bored anymore and i remember that was the word that you did not use in the hill house if you walked in the house and you said that you were bored Yes, you 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 were back outside and you were shoveling. Literally, Mm -hmm. we used to have when we'd use our canals during the summer, all of the river water comes through and it accumulates sand in the bottom of a cement ditch. And so we were constantly having to shovel the sand out of the cement ditch. Me being the dense headed person that I am, I actually enjoyed that kind of work. Like I could spend all afternoon in a ditch shoveling and be happy. But for people like my brother or my sisters, nobody ever said the board game, because if that happened, you're going to be in that ditch shoveling sand.
1: Ours was the same. Like you, you were in charge of entertaining yourself. Like we were not entertained. You didn't come and say, I'm, I have nothing to do. Right. Same thing would happen. So you spent a lot of time figuring out what you wanted to do and how to do it.
4: Or you just kept your mouth shut.
1: Yeah. Or read. I mean, I remember when my mom, we used to get like in summer, we'd get in trouble and we'd have to go to our room and read. I was like, oh, can you please, as an adult, can you please punish me and send me to my room to read for two hours? That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, but you know, Minecraft, we're talking about video games. Again. You know, Minecraft, yes. Minecraft is very, very creative. There's a lot of the other ones that maybe it's just because I'm old and, you know, and I don't get it. You're not old though. I feel like I'm really old. I turned 45 this year, but I think in video game land, I'm like 80.
3: Are you, are you single? That's awkward. <laughs> Where's the cricket button at? <laughs>
1: I I am I am in a relationship, but I am not married.
0: Okay, in a relationship, but not married. Yes, you look like you're 35. I was going to throw a pitch out there, but I'm not going to do it now.
1: Your (laughs) wife is way hotter than I
0: am. Oh, not me hitting on you, Marty. I didn't think so. I was just, (laughs) Katie. I'm here for you. Where's those crickets
1: again? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where's that one? Hey, babe,
0: these crickets are for you.
1: Okay, I was like, we're editing this right. (laughs) So please tell me that giant producer in the sky is going to edit this. Oh, no, that's got to go out there.
0: That's <laughs> the, we've got to make things awkward. That's the, way, that's the way it works in show business. I'm not in show business. podcast is sponsored by chaffee Chaffe is a premium alfalfa product that's grown in the shadows of the guadalupe mountains our unique climates allows us to have cool nights warm days and allows us to have a consistent growing season to make sure that we have the best quality forage product on the market if you want to know more about chaffee and what it's uh, beneficial use for your farm or ranch could be check out chaffee.com you can also follow us on instagram or facebook at chaffee Get me back to the place where you finally decide, okay, actually get all of us to the place where you're growing up. Your dad's an auctioneer. He has a small, small restaurant, right?
1: Yes. So my father's an auctioneer. At the time, my mother was a stay-at-home wife, you know, running three kids and all the chaos that we were. And my father decided that he could not find any good barbecue in town. So he would just open his own restaurant, which To a lot of people, and I've realized this in my life, to people who have sat in restaurants, you know, and eaten and had a lot of experience in restaurants, they really feel like they know what they're doing. Um, my, my ex-husband and I once got into a fight and this probably led to the end of the marriage on opening a bar. And he told me, he's like, well, I've sat in a bar my whole life. I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, and it's completely different. So anyway, my father opens this restaurant. And it is losing, it was back in the day. So it was losing like one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and thirty dollars a day, which, you know, this was, Eighties? Yeah, I would say the eighties, late eighties. So that's mid-80s. hemorrhaging. Yeah, so that's hemorrhaging back then. And he comes home and he tells my mom, he hands her the keys and he says, You go fix this. He's like, I'm losing this much a day, go fix it. And of course, you know, the problems in restaurants haven't changed since then. It was still the same.
0: Props to your dad, though, because he knew what he was losing. Most people don't are yeah. not aware of what they're losing.
1: No, time. it was it was huge. And you <laughs> know, and he's gone. I mean, he's an auctioneer. So he was out of town and his staff was taking advantage of him. You know, lots of food was going home, lots of food was being burned, lots of you know. They they would smoke the brisket in a pit, which you can't actually do anymore. And, you know, six wow. of them would sit, A dog get to that second, six of them would sit out, you know, and drink beer all night doing that, charging him for it, charging him from the beer, the food. I mean, it was just, it was a giant mess. So my mother went down there and went to work and it worked well for her. She had a restaurant and she only kept it open from 10 until two. And it was called the nooner. <laughs> they kind of missed the connotation on that, but that was because <laughs> yeah. later somebody was like, really Jeanette? Um, But <laughs> for anyone. It's all right. uh, so yeah, they had that. And the reason she had it open from Tyndall too, because that allowed her to drop the kids off at school, go to the grocery store, get the bread that she needed, come back at the restaurant, open, close be open for lunch, close the restaurant and get back and pick up the kids and then do all the other after hours things. And so she, she did that, you know, pretty much all while I was in school. I went away to college. Where'd you uh, go? Um, I actually ended up at a small university at in Louisiana called Southeastern Louisiana University. How did you get there? Well, I went to NMSU. To start, and NMSU is a great school, and they were very, very kind. After three semesters, they sent my parents a nice letter that said, "You don't have to send us money anymore because your kid's not showing up." Wasn't that kind of them? Yeah. So um,
3: they they send those out a lot earlier now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After the first semester, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So, <laughs> needless to say, I was studying really hard for what I do now, which is you know essentially party. I was studying very hard for that, so I was doing a lot of um, real life experience. So I partied my way out of the first set of college, mm-hmm. got into a university in Louisiana because they had open enrollment, which translates to all you have to do is breathe and mommy's check better cash. Um, so I went down there and went to school, and so graduated and came home while I was waiting to get into law school. And I will say probably, you know, there's a lot of people in life that can say, you know, I'm not sure when I went down this road or what decision I should have made differently or that I can pinpoint mine when it was the exact moment that the University of New Orleans law school sent me an acceptance letter for law school. And I said, you know what? I don't think I want to go back to, because Hammond was right outside of New Orleans. I don't think I want to go back to Louisiana and I don't know if I want to be in debt that much. So I don't think I'm going to go to law school. I oh, think if you only
0: knew the debt you were going to get into. later. Exactly.
1: In like, oh my goodness. Yeah. No, that was the pinnacle moment in which if you went back and I would probably, you know, kick my younger self and say, Hey, stupid, <laughs> go back to that's the bad idea. So I came home. And went to work at my mother's small restaurant. You know, my parents' small restaurant. Mom was running it at the time. And then stumbled into catering. So, um, and actually we went to high school with them, uh, Parker Pearson and Maureen were getting married. They were, we had a big giant metal building. You remember the barn? Mm -hmm. So my parents built this big giant metal building because my dad was an auctioneer. That's where I learned how to dance. Yes. We had a lot of fun in that barn. And so my dad had built it. So he'd have a place to have auctions and anyway, and they were getting married and they came in the day of the wedding and Maureen's in tears and Parker's off playing golf. And you know, I've like, there had to be a better way to do this. This is really painful for these people. So we stumbled into catering and I just had a knack for it. Never went to school, never learned anything on that side. Um, you know, I just had a knack for catering. So we started as a catering company and then I kind of fell into the restaurants with another, you know, series of events. And so now we're well in March before COVID right now I'm nothing, but in March before COVID we were the largest catering company in Southern New Mexico. So we were the bigger, you know, anybody bigger than us was in Albuquerque.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing is I don't know how many events that I just got to see you through because you were catering the event. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seemed like everywhere we went.
1: Yeah, we did. We did a huge majority of events in southern New Mexico and Las Cruces. We even went into Texas, do a bunch of stuff down here. And so that was before, you know, the ban on mass gatherings. The vid. Yeah. So now we don't have anything. But that was that. So
0: on a scale of one to 10, what is it? I mean, what is your contentment level in owning restaurants? Well, I guess this is starting catering. Where do you make your money? Is it in a restaurant or do you make it in catering?
1: It, you know what it, the hard part is there's money in both so catering you make more money per occurrence if you will like more per person I make a much higher revenue per person catering but the problem is you don't cater all the time
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know most people get married on when Saturdays you know so you don't you don't have those big opportunities to make money all the time so you have most of your money is centered around the weekend and then you do smaller things during the week to make up the difference and pay the staff and pay the bills so catering you make a higher amount per incident Rest Restaurants, because of the volume, you end up making more money in restaurants than catering. So most people cater out of their restaurants, like their catering is an offshoot from the restaurants. We're the only ones that have restaurants and catering, but they're totally separate businesses. This would have been a great conversation to have Danny in on.
3: Oh yeah.
0: My, my business partner, Danny owns 150 sunset Mm and in El Paso, they do large caterings. Uh, They've got a restaurant downtown called park tavern. This would have been Destin, the reason that we're in this is not just to talk about the restaurant, though. Yes. So, so I want to make sure that you guys we're getting your appetite, you know, started here. We're just giving you we're a little, giving the
1: background before they hear about the fight. Yeah, and then
0: we're, <laughs> then we're about to take the gloves off. The so the the business the the two restaurants that you do have are the game one and the game two.
1: Yes. So we have two games on either side of town.
0: Let's talk about the demographic of Southern New Mexico, Las Cruces. Um, and, and what took, what, what's the menu look like at those two?
1: So they're very much sports bars. So it's, you know, it's comfort food, it's burgers, it's wings, it's nachos. You know, we have salads, we have, you know, our, we're famous for our pecan encrusted green chili strips. Ross was fats. a little
0: mad that you didn't bring any with you, but that's he'll get over Oh,
1: I know. Poor Ross. I know. He's a, he's I, oh, emotional I should have th- thought about that. I'll ship you some. Um, I'll chip them frozen. The girls can cook them. Perfect. Yeah, there we go. And so we do that type of stuff. We have 52 different draft beers on each, you know, a full liquor license. And really the thing that we're known the most for, which when we built it, you know, people were like, wow, you're an idiot. Why are you building patios this big? And now I look pretty smart. I'm um, considering everything that's happened in New Mexico, but we're known for our patios. So, well,
0: and outside, I mean, we've got 350 yeah. days of sun and it's usually mm-hmm. pretty enjoyable weather. It's very
1: nice. So yes, yeah, so we have massive, massive patios, you know, we have entertainment on the weekends. And so it, it you know, the, the culture, which is interesting because when we grew up, even though, you know, you were a baby when we were babysitting, but we were, we were all in the bars at about the same time. When we grew up, People went to bars. Yeah. You know, that's what Mm -hmm. you did. I remember being at, you know, we had Cowboys at the time. I remember being at Cowboys at five o'clock and you went from five to eight and then you went home and you poofed your hair and you put on your really tight pants and you went back at nine and you stayed till 12 till two. And you know, people went to bars and Mm -hmm. we would have never been caught dead in an Applebee's or anything like that. And now the market has shifted so much in entertainment that no one goes to bars. You can't even buy a bar anymore. If you want to get a bar financed, the bank will not finance a bar for you. You have to have a food component. So now everybody, instead of going to bars, what do they do now they come to restaurants that are more entertainment venues that you can sit there you know in restaurant land a lot of people say well you know your table turnover everything your table time your table time hour and a half hour and a half our average table time on a friday and saturday is like 3 hours people come for the evening they come to sit there and enjoy it and drink and eat and see the entertainment and do all that so really the and this has happened nationwide that the whole how people entertain themselves and interact and go out into the world, this is before COVID, um, definitely has changed. So, But it seems
0: crazy to me that as Cruces, you know, growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of things. I mean, if you want a mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A, you had to go to the mall and walk in. And, you know, was, yeah. it, it, we didn't have Buffalo Wild Wings and we didn't have, we had an Applebee's, but it was late. It was way late when we got, I think I was in college when we. Yeah, we got Applebee's, chilies. So but right. we yeah, we got all of those kind of things. And then you're going to open a sports bar. Mm-hmm. Like how how do you compete against an Applebee's or a franchise that they are a machine? How they you know, this is what you cook. This is how long you cook it. This is what you how do you compete against a big machine like that?
1: I, I will say the first several years were certainly very scary, and you know everything I've done in my life, I've done it with arrogance and ignorance, and those well, are those are two very negative words. And, and talk
0: about the really. location of where the first game was put at, because how many restaurants had that been prior to you owning that property? Yeah, it was six.
1: Yeah, and I just remember and we stumbled that. into it, that. It, it was yeah. in. So, that. I mean, really, we had to do it with, you know, my theory in life has always been because I'm very untrained in everything I've done. Like, really, I have an MBA, but that doesn't help me at all um, with anything I do. And so they now, you know, it's, it's the arrogance that, to think you know what you're going to do and you can do anything you want and the ignorance to not know why you can't do it. So when I didn't want to be That's in That's re- quotable. Yeah. You know, arrogance. And like I say, they're negative connotation words, but they work out really well. Um Because you're the only one that can stop you from doing what you want to, you Mm -hmm. know, by not believing in yourself or believing that you certainly can do it or not knowing that you can't do it. And so we've spent most of our life like that. So the restaurants actually... I did not want a restaurant. We were in catering. I liked catering. I liked knowing, you know, you know what you're going to do. Not a lot of staff. Good to go. And Just Phillip, wear
0: black and sling hash.
1: Yeah, you're fine. It's easy. You know who's coming. You know what they're going to eat. You know what time they're going to eat. There's no mystery to it. Like, we got this. Um, and I never wanted to get back in the restaurant business after I'd gotten out of it with the small one. And then we had a developer in Cruces. His name was Philip Philippou. And he, so I did his New Year's Eve party. And I went to him and I said, Philip, I would like storage units. I want something with no labor, you know, no people, just really simple storage units. For the record, I'm still trying to find storage (laughs) units. I still don't have them. Um, And now I have 140 employees. And so I went to Philip and I was like, this is what I want. He said, well, Marcy, I have this empty building sitting here, which is the site of game one. He said, I have this empty building and I want you to turn it into a restaurant we'll be partners in it. And then I'll build you storage units. And I, you know, I was like, that's a great idea. I was like, sure, I'll do that. So I go home and I tell my parents, because at the moment, you know, I'm a baby, I can't borrow any money, can't do any of that by myself. He says, you buy the liquor license, I'll pay for the remodeling. Here we go.
0: Okay, which which is good for you. I mean, to get the liquor license, that's That's gold in New Mexico. It
1: it, it is. You know, liquor licenses are one of the single, you know, most stable assets in New Mexico. I don't know why people are so scared of them. You know, it's been 300. Those things have had a $350,000 value for years and years. So Philip, you know, so I was like, okay, I go home and I tell my dad, this is important part of the story. I go home and I tell my dad, hey, I'm going to do this. And my father looks at me and he says, you're stupid. He said, you're going to get screwed. And I was like, "No, I'm not dead. You don't know anything. I'm so smart, right?" Because you, you said
0: Philip, and I started to wrinkle a little bit. Nothing against the man, but I've just seen some of the things. Yeah,
1: yeah. We, we all know the through.
0: end of the story. So, here we yeah.
1: go. so anyway, I tell my father that he's dumb and I know everything. So I go back to work, and we get the whole restaurant remodeled. We're ready to go. We're two weeks from opening, and I go into Philip's office, and you know he wasn't doing very well at this time, and I hand his, you know, his manager, his attorney, um, the bill. And I'm like, you owe $350,000 to all these contractors. Look, we're done. I'm ready. I've remodeled it. I bought the license. We're opening in two weeks. Isn't this amazing? And the attorney looks at me and he says, Marcy, no. And I go, what do you mean? No. And he said, we're one week from declaring bankruptcy. We don't have any money. And all we have, here's an American express. You can charge $75,000 on that. And that's all we have. And I literally, you know, so 350000 is owed. I'd already borrowed 350000 for the liquor license. And we owe, I mean, these are real people we owe. It's not some giant corporation that you can just say, screw it. These, and La- these Cruces, are my people.
0: Las Cruces is 90,000 people and you know everyone. And of them. I know
1: everyone. And these were my guys. Like these were my contractors that came to work for me. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. And they said, no, we warned you. And you wouldn't, you know, we warned you that he didn't have any money. I'm like, but he said, and they said, we don't care. And so I went home. This is why the dad part was important. So I went home. And because again, at this point, I was too little to borrow my own money. You know, I, I wasn't where I am now. And I looked at my father and I said, OK, I just want to tell you that you were right and I was wrong. And yeah. And he's like, What happened? And I said, Well, this is what happened. And he looked at me. He's like, I told you you were stupid. And I was like, I know. So let's get past that. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm stupid. What, what, how are we gonna do this? Like, you won't go to the bank. <laughs> you won't take a ride with me, Daddy, in <laughs> um, my favorite little girl voice. Please, Daddy, come save me from myself. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, Dad got in the car and we went to the bank. And you know, he—he, he, my father taught me everything I know about financing and banker relations and how to do that. And it's you know such a huge game changer. I think more people need to understand that. And so we went down to the bank, and you know, he co-signed the loan. And, you know, in the process of this, this discussion, my mother comes to me and she says, speaking of arrogance and ignorance, my mother comes to me and she says, you don't have to do this. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, you can sell the liquor license. We don't open the restaurant. Just, you know, tell the bankrupt, tell all the contractors and everybody, Hey, sorry, man. You know, he screwed us. Everybody knows he's going down, blame it on Philip and walk away. She's like, we don't have to get in this much debt. And I was like, what? I, I mean, it just blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean? Everybody in town knows we're doing this you know, we have a party scheduled. I have the menu. I'm ready. Everything's done. Like I got this. What do you mean? Why would we quit? And so I I went ahead and did it anyway. And I would like to say that it magically happened and everything was wonderful. And, you know, money just started flowing from the heavens. Well, how did you get the property
0: since he owned the property? It
1: was his. So he had the property and then, you know, we started the restaurant opened, which was a disaster for the first two years because I didn't know anything I truly didn't, knew no clue, no clue what I was doing. So it took me to, I went and hired good managers and then found out those really weren't good managers and then got another one. You know, you worked yourself through it. And so we were open about a year and we were paying rent and the bankruptcy attorney called me and said, hey, you got two choices. He said, we're getting ready to, you know, do the bankruptcy and put this all in. You can either buy the building or I'm putting it in with bankruptcy in the bankruptcy and then somebody else will buy it and you'll have to rent it from them. And I was like, well, that's not going to work. You know, so I had to go back to dad. Hi, daddy. <laughs> um, I was going to try to do the voice, but there, I was not getting there. Yeah. Hi, daddy. Can, I, can you come help me, please? So we went and, you know, got an SBA loan and borrowed the money to build the restaurant or to buy the restaurant building itself. Because, you know, if not, you're just held hostage. Mm-hmm. You know, just totally held hostage because if I was the landlord, I would have come in and said, yeah, girl, it's 10000 a month. Here you go. (laughs) Yeah, you've already got an operating business. Yeah, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. So so that was that. And then we did that and, you know, and then we went and did some other stuff and failed epically on some other things and learned some lessons and... You know, so now we have game one and game two. I used to own five at the same time. And I say, I've gotten my, as I've gotten older, I've gotten my ADD under control. <laughs> so we're a little more managed. I,
0: I mean, you get along so well, is because we both are the, uh, mm-hmm. the cosmic rubber ball in the concrete box.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, 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 at one point we had opened five companies in five years, all, you know, in all service oriented companies, which, you know, like I say, I have, I have mm-hmm. 140 employees right now and it's, you know, it's a lot.
0: So. The experience that I have when I go there is good. The food is great. Okay. Um, That was, you'd open that in my second term of college when I decided I was going to go back and finish, which I didn't finish. But I.
1: Yeah, we opened it in 2008.
0: The The location actually turns out to be quite nice because you have everything in the lower valley that wants to come to mm-hmm. that spot. And you're right next to the university. So we go in to study a little bit or drink beer at, you know, one o'clock. But that's the what we call studying. Yes and uh, and and so it was it's it's amazing the patio is huge um you always have live entertainment and stuff like that going on so i want to commend you on what you've gotten done oh, there thank you. but nothing could pre- could prepare any of us for what was going to happen in march of 2020 yes and so if 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 we go back and talk about the relationship between jay hill and Mar- marcy dickerson um our paths tend to come together From time to time where we've we've done some business together, um, we've hung out and studied together, uh, we've we've our families have been interconnected for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing about Marcy is not because you're sitting here, you have a sense of nasty that is unrivaled um because you know how small town america talks oh yes and how people oh, <sighs> it's the, the end of times and Marcy's finally going to go down and she's not going to make oh, it and the I, next I thing you know ways. Marcy rolls in and she's just like i'm opening another restaurant check this out and i'm like that's that's the marcy i know That's, that's, that's the drive and the passion and, and knowing, I know you've had your days where you didn't want to get out of bed where you're like, I can't believe this is going on, but you do it. You pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you just Mm -hmm. kick it right in the face. But in all of this that I've known you, you've never, you're vocal because you're everywhere. But at the same time, you really, I didn't ever feel like you were just taking it to our politicians. I know you've always been involved. No, I hid, but because you 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 have to in some regards because if you go out and make a stand and this is what MJ and Brandon you know and, and Johnny and all these guys talk about all the time they're like you got to be easy on what you're saying man because there's a lot like, of people's I hear lives that a
1: lot in- yeah so because you know, there's you know why lives I hide in- right or why I did hide before this year well tell me. So here's a fun story. So at one point in my life, I did it earlier. I played politics and I got involved. And hey, guess what? That my father, you know, that really smart guy I haven't listened to yet, came to me and said, don't do this. You're stupid. You're going to get burned. And right. What do I say? No, daddy, I'm smart. I know everything. So I get involved in politics. How did you get involved? Well, I have to keep that kind of vague or else it's going to tell you who screwed me. And I try not to say that part. So I, I tell the story. I, let's say some very high political people, I became friends with them. You know, I was involved that way. I, I was personally in a... State, it,
0: national... State. state,
1: I was in a personal relationship with some very high level people in the state. Okay. So I thought these people were friends. I found out they weren't friends. Um, The way I found out they weren't friends was when on, and I can tell you the date, July 15th, 2014, 7.30 AM, the IRS broke down the door to my bar and began one of, you know, I will say one of the most harrowing things that has ever happened to me. And that was the start of our audit. It was, they were investigating me for embezzlement criminal, something else. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I was like the head of the cartel. I think that was in there too. Um, yeah. So we started, we would be a hell of a cartel leader. You know what, you know what my defense was on that? I Mm. literally told them this. I said, if I was in charge of the cartel, I'd probably be pretty good at it. And I go, and if I could kill people, I could give you a list of about eight humans that are breathing right now. That wouldn't be, that was my defense. True statement. I told
0: the IRS, How does that make you two feel? The MJ and Brennan's eyes are as wide as a... I don't think I'm on the list, so I'm okay. You're safe, yeah. We just yeah. met, so we're cool, right? We're good. We're good. <laughs>
1: All right. No, that, literally, that's what I told, I told the investigating agent that. They looked at me funny. Um, so, yeah. So, we, you know, we survived it. It was 18 months. The first, you, you talk about not wanting to get out of bed. The first six months, I was absolutely immobilized because you can't borrow money. You couldn't do anything. We actually, when this happened, we were two weeks away from signing the final paperwork on game two the first time. And, you know, three weeks away from breaking ground the first time.
0: We we talked about this story over a very heavy drink one time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, Marcy, what yeah. are you going to do?
1: So that happened. We ended up getting out of it. With, I mean, you know, really, we received a letter from the IRS. Um, it was actually my 40th birthday. I got it. It was pretty crazy. And my $750 an hour criminal tax attorney, who had done nothing in his life but criminal tax law, I sent, I called him and I said, Did you see the letter? And he goes, What letter? And so I sent it to him. And he's like, Marcy, in the 30 years I've practiced, I've never seen one of these letters. He said, Let me call DC and make sure this is real. And he called DC and it was real, which is how we know it was definitely political. And so after that, I was very, very quiet. You know, I what did the letter say? It basically said that so in IRS land, they normally don't ever tell you, okay, you're done. They just let it, you know, let the time run out and that. And it basically said, okay, we're no longer investigating you, but if you do something else. You know, then we might reopen the investigation, but like there you go. So it was it was kind of, it was as close to an apology letter as you could get. And it was like here, my, our bad bye. So how did that
0: how did that affect your trust in politics?
1: So you know, at that point I, I understood that, Hey, guess what? My dad was right. It, it's so scary, right? He's 74 and I'm, I'm 45 and I'm just now getting to my dad was right. Um, so I, I stopped doing anything political. Like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't give five cents for the person who was running for dog catcher. Cause I was like, no, I don't want to play this game. I went to play this game and you know, bigger girls than me knocked me on my butt and showed me just how small and insignificant I am. And I learned that lesson very well. So I kept my mouth shut, you know, didn't quite do much. Um, and then, you know, we had we had some interactions with the city, which was very negative in 19. And then 2020 happened. But
0: how do you I mean, for me, I, I have that cosmic, you know, foot in the mouth. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, we've all known that. But at the same time, like I I am driven by saying what I think is real and so am I. You, yeah, I know. <laughs> How hard was it? I mean, not only are you going through this where you're scared that you're going to lose everything that you've invested and worked for. But at the same time, how hard is it for you not to say, you know what, I'm just going to blow the lid on all, all this and just let everybody know exactly what's going on.
1: The biggest thing. So I, I, that story that I just told you, I actually did not tell that story, um, to anybody, uh, until the person was out of office because I was very, very aware that if I didn't learn my lesson first, they would come for me again. So I kept my mouth shut and I did not tell that story. And, you know, even now it's still pretty vague. Um, But, you know, there came, and I think this was it, there came a time and this happened definitely at the beginning of 2020 when finally I was just like, you know what, this is crap. I mean, it is, it's like, you can either sit here and, you know, with your mouth shut, not say anything public and just let the world happen to you. That's option one. Option two is you can sit here and complain and don't do anything. That's option two. Or option three is, you know what? stand up, put your money where your mouth is. And, you know, certainly start saying things. And this year I was like, I've had enough, you know, we've lost what we're going to lose. And <laughs> little did I know we could lose more. Um, and, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> Amen, sir, sister. Surprise. Is it
0: too early to start drinking?
1: No. I know. See, I should have brought that. I should have brought the booze and the cork bats and we could have had a happy hour.
0: It would have been out of control.
1: Um, but, yeah. So this year, and it kind of just happened. It was weird because I didn't start to stand up against the governor. Like, that wasn't my goal. My goal always has been, you know, advocating for the small businesses. And then with all the work that we were doing, the charity work and everything else, that we really... All of a sudden we had a voice, you know, I've always been loud.
0: But so tell me about the charity. Let's let's before we finish this story, let's segue into the charity.
1: So basically in 2017, you know, a, I started a charity called Revolution 120. Mm-hmm. And the reason I started my charity was because I wasn't happy with what a lot of other charities were doing. I didn't like the way they did it. I didn't like the way they ran their money. Um, so that was one piece. They pissed me off. You know, they did. March of Dimes made me mad. Um, so I started my own charity cause that's how I roll. You know, as one of my managers said, I'm always very dangerous when I'm angry and bored. <laughs> True statement, especially in 2020.
0: That's why we wanted you on the podcast right now where things are, where you only running.
1: Yeah, really, of only is a couple. you're things. dangerous and bored right now. I'm so dangerous and bored right now. Uh, so we started the charity and one of the goals was is that we wanted to be able we only help people in Doniana County, but we help people take a step back from crisis. So we provide immediate assistance, no more than a thousand dollars a person um, and we did it a little different. One of the things that is totally different that really made a big difference with our donors is we don't have any expenses, none. Like the accountants are donated. The insurance is donated. I'm the executive director. I'm the fundraiser. Like we don't pay for stamps. We have nothing. 100% of all the money that we make goes back to the community. It goes back to, you know,
0: unlike so many of these charities where there's unlike, an executive team and a board and all of this and everybody's which a lot of up. those,
1: you know, a lot of those do need it. I mean, they do, they need it. I don't have brick and mortar. I don't have any of these things. I'm just like, I, I call it fairy godmother money. I show up with fairy godmother money and I fix your problems. Um, so that's one thing that's different. The other thing that's different is we don't give money. We give goods and services. So if you need something, we go buy it for you. Cause I don't want to chase the cash. You know, I, I, we did that once and I don't like that. And then people, you know, are, have a pay it forward requirement. You know, here you go. You have to go do something in the world for somebody else at whatever level you can do it. We don't monitor it. We just say go, you know, do something good for someone else. And so that charity really took off. We do about 150. Yeah. We do about $150,000 a year because that's what I, all we want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. people are like, when I was interviewing with Wells Fargo about our charity, they're like, well, why don't you have more? And I said, because I can only get so much work done. I still have all these other jobs, so we can only get so much work done. And in order to keep... The fact that we have no expenses, we is, have to do it this way.
0: What is your hope in-game with, with a charity? I mean,
1: you know what? They're really people have asked me, you know, did I have a big goal? Did I have a big in-game? I really don't. You know, I was taught, my parents were always very big community, active in the community and taking care of our community. And I was taught that if you're going to live and work and raise your family in a community that takes care of you, like they do with our businesses, then it's my job to take care of them and it's my job to leave the world a better place. And, you know, if I have the ability to help people, then I should do that. Absolutely. And, and that's what we do all the time. So during, you know, during COVID, we started, you know, certainly the minute COVID hit, we knew bad stuff was about to happen. So, you know, I went out and I bought like this was when, when it first started. Remember, everybody was in. You couldn't find beans. You can't find toilet paper. You can't find this in the stores. And so we went and ordered fifteen thousand dollars worth of groceries to bring in to give to all of our employees. To say, here, here's food to make sure you guys are okay for a little bit. Because at the time we thought, remember the lie? It'll only be two weeks. Right. Yeah. And so we started giving out, you know, we started with food giveaways and the more we did, the more people came to us. You know, one of the things with the charity, I think that people miss is they think that we're very public about what we do because it's like self grandstanding or self-reflective. It's not. The more I say that I do, the more people like you show up to help me do it. So we started Chris Fransway, you know, pitched in and donated 6,500 pounds of beans and 6,500 pounds of green chili. Those were the last beans in his warehouse and beans were at a premium and he gave them to us to give out. Mm-hmm. You know, Dave Benz then showed up and said, OK, I want to do something Mars. So and I said, cool, let's buy 6, you know pounds of potatoes and we'll give those out. So we really have been focused on the food side. We've given we're in stage two of what we call um, no one goes hungry in our community. So in stage two, which started in August and will run through December, basically um, we've so far we've given out over nine thousand food boxes. We will give out 40,000 free meals, which we do daily, Monday through Friday. There's 400 meals a day for free at either of the game locations. It's 200 per location. Um, so we really have focused on, you know, in, in, in 2020 during COVID, we've really focused on, you know, the food and that type of thing. We did masks. We've done sanitizers. We've done all that stuff. But really, our focus has been making sure people can eat.
0: Did you ever watch Red Dawn? I have not. Okay, so... Either one of you watched Red Dawn?
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I
0: think it's been a while. The the thing that if if I can paint a picture of the way I view New Mexico right now, remember, New Mexico is my original home. That's where I was born and raised. um, And I still love my New Mexico. But right now, every time I go back to the home farm, I feel like I am standing on the other side of a chain link fence with people inside trying to brainwash what is happening inside of my state. Absolutely. And we have gotten to a point as a state that people are eventually sort of coming to the the brainwashing where people finally you get beat down to a point where Mm -hmm. you just kind of just, oh, this is the new norm. And this is how things are supposed to be. I live in Texas now and I live in the middle of nowhere. The nice thing about that is. We haven't. We still to this day, I mean, it's uh, my freedoms are still in check And so as I watched you start to grab your stump to stand on, it was one of the most empowering things. And I have watched, you know, I'm not real active on Facebook, but I still get on there and I see what you're stirring, you know, what pot you're in the middle of. (laughs) And it is it's amazing to me to watch how this is actually making community leaders um stand up and people are or at least you're trying to save a couple people out of this whole thing.
1: Absolutely. And you know what was interesting is the voice, like yes, people have always known who I was because you know I you're Marcy, you got the Marcy, I do a lot of stuff, you know, I'm loud. And and I'm, you know, and I'm a pretty big business person in our small little pond. Absolutely. So people have always known who I was, but I think people really started to listen and you know the support showed up because the fact that I was the one out there trying to feed people, trying to take care of people, trying to do that at a time in which our local politicians we hadn't heard from them. Like they were gone. Nobody had any idea where they were or what they were doing. Um, they were hiding, you know, our governor certainly wasn't handing out any help to the world. She was just cutting and cutting and cutting and scaring people. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of people out there fighting for us, you know, and trying to take care of us. And then that, you know, that happened. And, you know, we started to talk a little more and use social media as our platform to say, you know what, does anybody up there realize what you're doing to our state because our state's not that strong? I mean, we're the last at everything. But you know, we don't have the economic resources that you know, like say Texas does or some of these bigger states the thing I that, mean, what blows small-
0: my mind though is the potential that the state still holds to be it's it, to sustain itself is so it's not complex no, I mean, it's really we we listen to so many politicians and The reason that I want Marcy Dickerson from Las Cruces, New Mexico, speaking about what's happening politically during COVID on this podcast is because this is happening in multiple states where people are sitting there saying, hey, we we've lost our voice. We've lost our touch. The only thing that separates New Mexico from a lot of us is one, our food is way better than your state. And two, people don't truly understand the resources that New Mexico has. There is still so many resources hidden inside that gem that people are not willing to talk about into, you know, mine or harvest. And I'm not talking just about natural gas and oil. I'm not talking about timber. I'm not talking about farming, but so many things that that state is capable of doing. The question that I've got is the first viral video that I ever put up I was I had gotten to a point where I'd, I'd read a release um, that Donald Trump had Um, allowed the EPA to go ahead and unregulate or deregulate a bunch of chemicals that are going to be applied onto crops that are harvested for food. And it gives us as the farmer, the opportunity to go and spread toxins all over the things that we want to provide to your restaurant and your customers. And I walked into the shop and I had enough. And so the only thing that I knew of in Dell city, Texas, I didn't know what was going on. I picked up my phone and I did a video of me saying, this is, this is the way it really works. 7 million people later. I'm like, wow, that actually had an impact impact. Where were you at when you decided it's the time I've, I've had enough of the bullshit. I'm going to go ahead and do this. How did that, how did that come together?
1: I think that one. So in the end of April, I think that was the drive-in movie. So Mm -hmm. the end of April, they, you know, they had started to allow the churches to do outdoor services. And so I'd seen some videos and they had, you know, the screen and they had the preacher and don't get me wrong. I am in no way saying that a drive-in movie is like a church, not, but anyway, it's the same, it's the same semantics. Here are people, they're in their cars, they're listening to this. There we go. Well, we have a huge parking lot. And I was like, why can't we do a drive-in movie? Like, yes, we should be able to do this. They can do it. We can do it. It's almost the same thing. Message is a little different, but it's the same logistics. So let's do this. So I call Royal Jones and I get two trailers out there and we're going to do this drive in movie. And of course, I've been very blessed with the fact that the media in our area really likes me because I always take care of them. So they take care of me. So, you know, I can get five people to anything and, you know, five different media stations. And so the media comes out and they do a show and we're doing that. Our drive-in movie sells out in 20 minutes. like, And they have to call me and in interview. We probably could have had it if I was like digitally cool. We probably could have had it sold out in three minutes. So the drive-in movie sells out all weekend. We're set. The media is talking about it because nobody was doing anything. So let's do this. It's fun. It's safe. You're going to stay in your car. We'll deliver food to your window. You know, We had it all. And we did that. And then the police call. The state police call. And they say, you can't. State police. State police. State police call. And they say, hey. Um, we heard, you I know, mean, obviously I'm everywhere. Right. And they said, we heard that, although I thought I was cool until Jay just said his video got 7 million views. I'm now not that cool anymore. But anyway, you're still way yeah, I'm like, Oh, that was my little movie thing. Um, so, you know, we got, I was like, no, this is enough. Like the state police call and say, you can't do this. I was like, why can't I do it? And they said, well, because you can't, I was like, but okay. And I actually got a phone call from someone from the governor's office and cause I sent up he said, write a letter and send a request. So I sent this request and this person calls me back <laughs> and, and you now have a pet name at the governor's office. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> and I, so I said that I was about to get it. So I sent this request up and you know, this first lady calls me and she was very polite and she's like, you know, you can't do it. And I said, why can't I do it? you know, I run massive festivals. I mean, I run tequila fest, honey, I can keep people in line. This is not a big deal. So I lay it out because they didn't even ask me how I was going to do it. They just said, no. So I lay it out. And then the second person calls me from the governor's office. And I think he's the one that gave me the nickname and he calls me and is like, just yelling at me. And I'm all okay. I'm like, but you know, I'm I'm not sure, you know, what is he saying? He's just like, how dare you try to break the rules? How dare you do this? And how dare you do that? And I'm like, Okay, I'm really sorry. I wasn't trying to break the rules. They could do it over here. I thought I could do it here. You know, it's not like you guys have a 1-800 number for us to call. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we end up
0: with. Well, Bill McCamley's got a 1-800 number for all the labor Mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. Apparently that worked out real well. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I I said that name out loud, but that's somebody that I've gone rounds with.
1: Yeah, I I will actually say this, you know, I I knew Bill McKinley before he had this job and he's been very responsive to me and I'm very thankful for that. So I've got to say that to Bill. But yeah, unemployment was a giant mess. But anyway, so it was after that and after they told us no and after they yelled at me that I was like, you know what? I mean, that was back when I thought the governor would still listen to what the people want and like the voices of New Mexico need to be heard. And so we went then, you know, I got on the news, I got on social media and I was like, you know what? Our small businesses have to be saved and this is crap. And that's always been, you know, that's always been it. It's not necessarily about me. It's about the fact that these small businesses and other people like me, they deserve a voice. And so many of them don't have one or they're scared to use it or they're worried about it. And, you know, and it's like, no, everybody... You know, everybody deserves to to be heard and everybody deserves to have a voice. And, you know, if you can stand up for people and they want to listen and they support you, then go do it.
0: So as you're as you're swinging an axe in an iceberg. Are you starting to see anything that is coming from what you've been doing or do you feel like you're still fighting an uphill battle?
1: You know, we got um, I will say, you know, the restaurants got open. I'm not necessarily sure it was because of anything I did. I think, you know, I,
0: yeah, I, but I saw a lot of restaurants that linked arms with you.
1: Yes. No, we, we had the New Mexico restaurant association, you know, led a little protest. That was cute. We did it on, I thought it was funny because they asked us to take a picture and all the people that had been protesting all over the state came out of the woodwork, like not to support, but to be against us. They're like, well, you can't protest. You can't protest because you're going to kill people. And it's like you, I mean, I got into a fight with one of the protest leaders in cruises because I'm like. You guys have been blocking the streets. You've been linking arms and blocking the streets every Saturday for weeks. Why can't we take a picture? And they're like, well, that's not, that's not what this is. We're, we're fighting for rights. And I was like, so am I. I'm fighting for my right. I'm fighting for these other people's right to provide for their families, these people's right to go to work.
3: It blows my mind that people can't see both sides of that. You know, that that what they're doing is OK, but you holding a protest is not the same. And,
1: yeah. And we were taking a picture like that's yeah. it. People were taking pictures. Well, I mean, let's talk about what happened in Santa Fe this last this last weekend what, or yesterday. So, what was that about?
0: With with them turned down the statue? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the thing I thought Nobulous. was the thing I thought was the funniest part about it is. So everybody's like, well, it's, you know, because New Mexico doesn't celebrate Columbus Day anymore. We know celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. OK, whatever. But that they went and they tore down the statue. It's been there 150 years. Okay. It's been there longer than New Mexico has been a state. It's not even a statue about Columbus. It's a statue that basically commemorized the union soldiers who had come to New Mexico for the expansion of America and settle New Mexico. And the reason they were upset is the original inscription, which is 150 years old, said thank you to the Union soldiers or something about the savage Indians that they conquered or did something with. Well, somebody in 1974 went in there with a chisel and took out the word savage. Okay. So we just have a parent, you know, we have an obelisk. That's all this is. And that's what it was for. And those lunatics went up there and tore it down. And my question is, Really? Where were the police? Because the police are handing out tickets left, right and center for not wearing a mask in Santa Fe. So where are you? You know, where were they? Because that wasn't I mean, somebody didn't put a secret bomb in it. You know, that was a big, long mess to get accomplished. Absolutely. But, you know, if
0: if we're talking about people's right to protest and 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 the double standard that we live in. As a business owner, as a business owner that has 140 employees, Mm -hmm. which you're never going to align yourself with all of them or some of them, maybe even none of them when it comes to politics, religion, you know, the the list can go on and on. How do you go forward being a business owner and still holding true to what you believe is true?
1: Well, I, I think that's the important part is I think you have to always be true to what you believe is true. And so the one thing like in my employees, you know, that I'm very thankful for is my employees have, you know, the ones that are with me have always followed me and they support what I do because my motivation is always to take care of them.
0: And that's the thing that you've paid your employees all the way through this. Absolutely. And that's the thing that that, that I find admirable, not just one of the only things, but the fact that even though you probably won't vote for the same person that some of them will vote for. They understand that what you fight for is for them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people that we see that are so worried about the COVID outbreaks and that we've experienced it through our business, that people, you know, feel that things might not be the safest and you're not doing this the right way and that the right way. It's hard for a business owner to stand up to what they truly believe in fear of what other people and their employees might think of them.
1: I think in ours, in the restaurant land, it is less about what the employees think and more about what the customers think. And, you know, we went round and round. My general manager is, you know, as he said, our job is to sell hamburgers and beer and sit quietly and for everybody to like us. And that's, you know, and that's a very true statement. That's why you don't see Texas Roadhouse Applebee's. You don't see these big boys coming out and making any political statements. Mm -hmm. Like they're very quiet. Um, And he said, we've got to be careful because we're going to piss off our customers. And I was like, you know what? I get what you're saying and I understand your caution. I said, but we have to fight for somebody. We have to fight for us. We have to fight for these little guys. You know, we have to fight for all these people. And you have to fight
0: for the people that want to come and enjoy the things they're willing to pay for.
1: That's yes. called freedom. Like the customers. And I'll say, you know, we've had people like, accuse us on social media of the fact we're putting our employees at risk. And doing that. we're one of the safest places. Our, our, you know, our sanitization strategy is so much above and beyond what the government requires. It's not even funny. But I'll tell you what not one of our employees. I mean, most of our employees came back. I'm sorry. We did have a couple that were like, you know what? My family's very susceptible. And I said, cool, stay home.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. like It's not
1: a problem. You have a job when you're ready. No big deal. But we had people beating down the door to come to work for us. A because we took such epic care of our employees during the time that everybody was off. Everybody else was just like, peace out. You're left at home. You have bills. Nobody cares about you. You know, we were paying electric bills and food bills and all that stuff. So, you know, our employees were very much excited to come back to work and People, you know, people are not servers because they were in indentured servitude. They're not slaves. People are servers because they like the money. They like the hours. They like the environment. They like the flexibility. You know, that's what they like. Mm -hmm. I mean, and people want to do that. And so the perception that all these workers in America were forced to come back to work. Well, you know what? Everybody, there's so many people that are proud of being able to work and to provide for their families that don't want to take welfare, that don't want to take state handouts. Those people deserve the opportunity to work. Those small business people, they deserve the opportunity to live. There were so many small businesses and especially restaurants that, you know, were on the verge of death. Then she opened us back up. Everybody got excited. Then we closed again. You know, now we're patio only. Personally, patio did not affect me. My patios are huge. We built new patios. I had new patios built in two days. I was very excited about that. But all these other small restaurants couldn't afford it. So you know what? We started putting tents up at people's restaurants through our charity. I was like, okay, you guys call me if you are, you know, we had some, we had some franchises call and I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> like you're Applebee's. You have to put up your own tent. But we went around the city and put up tents for these small restaurants so they had a chance to survive. And I think that's what's important is that a people need to use their voice. And yes, I know it's scary to do it, but you know what? I'll tell you what, when we opened our, we probably, there was some customers that used to come to us all the time that didn't come anymore because of our politics or my politics. And I get that. And I respect that. Stay home. I'm with you. I only have 50% capacity anyway, but truthfully, my restaurants were full with people that came out of all income levels of all education levels of all employment levels and told me, thank you. They're like, thank you, Marcy. Thank you. Thank you for fighting for us. I had servers in there telling me, thank you for fighting for us. I had all kinds of other people saying thank you for fighting for us.
0: Some of the biggest misery that we find in life is when we don't have a driver or purpose. Mm
1: -hmm. And the fact
0: that somebody is forced to be home. Yes, the government's going to give you a handout to be able to sit at home. But at the same time, I would still venture to say that a large majority of people out there would feel a lot more Uh, sense of purpose and being able to go out and provide for their family on their own and for, for, for a a business owner to be able to say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and block the system in the most respectful way that we can. But at the same time that we're going to stand for our freedoms, what advice do you have for a restaurant? What do you have advice for a small business that's in a town that's shut down? We we often listen to the, what's going on across the mountain here in Carlsbad. There's a pizza in.
1: Yeah. They got nailed. And they,
0: they said the hell with you. They we're opening well come on you know we're just you, you want a pizza we're going to be open i mean state police have showed up now it's gotten to the point where the the sheriff in that county is actually having his guys go eat there
1: and you see know. i don't know if they're currently so you know more about this because you're on the side the rumor mill has it over there that they one of one of the two there were two or three that all opened at the same time and were like screw you we're opening and one of them, like they are, they are not open anymore. Like they put the kabosh. They pulled all the permits. They pulled all those things. And one of the things that I told people, and I think people had a misunderstanding, I said we never broke one rule. We didn't. We lived by her rules, whatever her rules were. We did not break one of them. I was very outspoken against them, but I didn't break one of them. And the reason why people ask me why didn't you just open, and I said, well, here's a couple reasons. First. I have two liquor licenses. Each of those liquor licenses worth $350,000 and she can jerk it anytime she wants. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a nickname, so you know, she knows who I am. Oh yeah. You know, she can jerk that anytime she wants. So the other thing is the health department permit. If the environmental department pulls our permit to operate, guess what? Something happened. I can open anyway and be like, screw you. I'm going to do this. I'm my own man. But my insurance doesn't cover anything because I'm operating without a permit. You know, if I sell one beer without that license, I'm bootlegging once I'm boot, once I start bootlegging, then they put us in federal, you know, then they put us in court. Once we have a felony, you can't own liquor licenses anymore. And the other piece of it is I have a $1.5 million contract with the state for catering. I rent a space from them, but that's what it's worth to me. Now it's been shut down all year. So obviously the evaluation a little much, but you know, they held all the cards. Right. So we had to be vocal and we had to be vocal and we had to, you know, basically try to get, as. where am I losing care? We had to be vocal and advocate for ourselves as well as all the other small businesses. Cause that was really important without actually breaking the rules. So and that was hard
0: at the same time. How do you get, how do you foresee yourself fitting into a plan to change the way the rules are written?
1: I think so. The first thing that we did after all this started, right. Then it became election time. And I will say, you know, I, this was the point in which I got over my being scared of politics, and it may turn my father may be right again, and it may turn around to bite me in the butt depending on what happens to this election. But we got very involved. We got very involved in politics people people a lot of people thought that I was doing all this because I wanted to run for office. I do not really want to run for office. That's not what I want. Um but we got very involved. We put in you know a lot of money we raised a lot of money, um took over some campaigns, and you know now have three packs. so we have three packs that um. You know, that we raised a hundred thousand dollars in three weeks. What do you stand for? So basically what all three of our packs have different names, but what, what we stand for is the same thing I stand for. I want people that are elected that are going to fight for me. I want people that are, I want people that are going to represent Las Cruces. They're going to go to Santa Fe. And the first thing they're going to do is they're going to put in legislation to limit the governor's powers. This is crap. You know, every, no one ever thought this would happen. No one ever knew, you know, her emergency powers, which I say in quotation, were put in to only last like 14 days. It's like for a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. That's what they're supposed to do. Nobody thought this would take seven months. You know, she's not talking to anybody up there. She dismissed the legislature. We have no public um, allowed in the legislature coming up in January. It's ridiculous. And so we have to find people who literally in the past, the politicians have always been the ones that smiled the nicest that didn't offend anybody, that were really nice and easy to get along with. And they don't make waves. They just go along and get along. And we're all friends. Isn't that nice? Now we need to find people who can grab their balls, get up there and stand up and fight and say, you know what? I'm not going to take this anymore from you. You will not threaten us. I will advocate for what the people in my community need.
0: So if I'm understanding politics correctly, a politician is supposed to serve the will of the people absolutely the will of the people has been muffled by the politician mm-hmm. so i how do we get people like Marcy Dickerson to be able to have a foothold in politics? How do we, you know, you say you don't want to run for politics, but for me sitting here right now, it's like an obvious choice that you need to be somebody that's banging the gong in Santa Fe. You know, I'm sure you're getting this from a <laughs> the, lot of those people. Those
1: rumors have circulated. Yes.
0: Yeah. They have, they have.
1: You know, the hardest, it, it,
0: it, but here's, here's it, a question. So let's, let's, let's put it into perspective. If you were running for a public office, what do you do when your constituents are sitting there saying we need to be closed? <sighs>
1: I think, so here's my thought. And, you know, people have asked me, what would you have done? So let let me do that. What what would I have done? If I was governor, what would I have done? Well, obviously at the time, the science was saying, this is horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. The world's going to die. Everybody's dying. It's all going to die. We're all going to die. What I would have done is I said, all right. I think I got a button for that.
0: (laughs) Nope, that was wrong button.
1: Wrong button. (laughs) We don't have an all we're going to die button?
0: Uh, I (laughs) I guess if we're high, that's a good button for us all.
1: (laughs) Here we go. What I would have done is I said, all right, everybody go to the store. Everybody get your stuff. You're going to be, you're going to be in your house for three weeks. I did it just like the Mescalero Apache did, you know, president Gabe up there did an amazing job. They came in, they had it. He said, done. Everybody's home. No stores are open. No box stores are open. Nobody moves. Nobody goes out on the streets. You stay home. Here's your food. Here's your stuff. Done. I would have shut everybody down for three weeks. Everybody. You could have come out of your house on Tuesdays from ten to two and Thursdays from ten to two, and you could have gotten this. We'll have food delivered to you because you know what? Guess what? We've got state money. The National Guard will come by. They will be patrolling the streets, and we will shut you all down. Everybody's closed. No box stores. No nothing. Hospitals can stay open. Everybody else is closed. Hold
0: your thought, MJ. What does that make you feel right now? When somebody tells you that you're gonna have to stay at your home, you got to get your food, and you're gonna be there for three weeks?
3: I'm I'm fine with that because we've already have our food for about three months. I
0: know. But if you're living in Las Cruces again, and somebody tells you that they're going to infringe upon your freedoms and your ability to go out and do something, what are you, what are
3: you feeling? I, I don't like it. I, I feel like it's a huge overreach by the government. Okay. Marcy, defend I'm that. I'm with you.
1: Now let me defend it. So let me get to the second part. Ooh. So the first thing we would have done is we have stayed home for three weeks. Okay. Guess what? Right. This thing's got a 14 day incubation. There you go. Technically all the people who had it would be home right? They wouldn't be cost contaminating. Nothing would happen after three weeks. Guess what? We're open suckers. We are open. We are back to it. We're not going to shut it down again. We're not going to play this open shut. We're not going to play any of that game. We're going to come out and we're back now. We're going to limit it. You know, okay. We'll limit it. Those big box stores, those are going to be limited more than the little restaurants. I would make sure that all the small businesses had every chance they could ever get to survive. The big box stores who are federally, you know, who are funded from lots of other places. Theirs is a little smaller. Walmart, really? Do you know the difference between 25 and 50% at Walmart? No. No. Nobody knows. They don't know either. It's fine. You know what I mean? And then I would have opened us up and I would have left it that way. Now, ideally...
0: So so the the problem with the whole thing, though, is... is, if we're looking at what actually happened, is the backbone is what every politician, like listen to Joe Biden, listen to to Donald Trump, right now. The backbone of our society is small business. Small business is what's the economic and driver. And the first thing that we crippled was small business. business. We left every box store and every large chain open and allowed people to, hmm. yeah, oh, we're six feet apart, but somebody's you know scratching their butt and looking at tomatoes at the same time.
1: We're just licking the bags. That's all we're doing. Yeah. No, it was crap.
0: So, so now you've in, you've opened us back up. We've, we've had three weeks off. We've, we've been home for three weeks. You you've opened us back up. What about, what about the farms? What about the ranches? A, what about the,
1: well, and that's a big piece of it. So everybody, so the box stores are going to be severely limited, right? I get that. There's certain things that maybe now in cruises We're fine. We, everything that the big box stores have the little stores that, you know, can find. So we're okay. But let's just say, you know, we'll go for, okay. So the box stores are severely limited. All the other small businesses are open. All of them. Now, we talk about farmers. Guess what? We've only had three weeks. Do you know what I mean? Now, I'm sure there's some crop issues and things there, but we've got all these funds coming to us. The other thing that I would have done, like you saw, remember the, the Navajo Nation got shut down and it was epic. The first thing I would have done is gone to every one of these farmers who has product produce in the fields, who's not moving. How many farmers like seriously took a hit because the restaurants were working? The dairy industry was dumping millions and millions and millions of gallons of milk because the schools weren't buying It's our
0: biggest customer too.
1: Right? Right. Everything was great. No, you know what? We pay you to feed the people that need to be fed. We pay you, the farmers. That's the first thing I would have done. March 19th, we had a city council meeting right when this thing first happened in Cruces, and they just shut us down. Like we were closed, set just take out. And I went to the city council of Las Cruces and I said, Here's what you do to save your restaurants. I said, all these we have lots of seniors that can't go out and eat. We have lots of children that can't eat. We have all these people that are having food insecurity issues. You pay the restaurants to do it. Pay the restaurants right now. You have the money in the Tel Shore fund. Pay the restaurants and have us feed everybody. And that way the restaurants stay in business, the people that need to eat get to eat. Here we go. They looked at me and they said, "Well, we think that's an anti-donation clause." I said, "No, it's not. It's a catering contract. It's the same contract you have with all of us pay us." Do you know how long it took them to contemplate that? I think they finally did it the beginning of June and then they offered $150,000. So 15 restaurants got $10,000, which is great. Thank you very much. But really, like there could have been better ways to do all of this, to keep the people in New Mexico working, to keep the small businesses working and to not just hand money hand over fist to Walmart, to, you know, to all of those people. I mean, it's ridiculous. Those, but hey, guess what? Guess who's a bigger political organization? The big box stars. Yeah, absolutely. That's whose money was there. But yeah, I mean, they're missing the point. You know, if we had to shut it down, and truthfully, I wouldn't have shut us down. I really wouldn't want to shut us down at all. But at the time, the science was doom and gloom. The world was going to die. I mean, my mother, who now doesn't even care. She wears her mask, but she really doesn't care. Like at one point when they were shutting us down, the kids would walk in the house and my mother would lice all them in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <She's like, laughs> You know, we were, we're
0: blank now, but I,
1: I know that's what my son's like, grandma, grandma,
0: I got this weird Twitch, but
1: yeah, they've, they've huffed a lot of lice all this time, but you know what I mean? Every, the science wasn't there. Everybody was so scared and they were so worried. So if that's what was going to happen, then you know what? Cut it. And then let us all out and let it done. This back and forth, like right now, the whole world's living in New Mexico on this. What's she going to say on Thursday? No, I know. it's it, Everybody that will watch on
0: social media is like, oh, gosh, here we go again. What's what's, yeah, what's Thursday going to look president like? President
1: Snow is her nickname. In my patio, I have an anti-Snow sign for her. Oh. Yeah, President Snow is her nickname. But yeah, it's like, what's, you know, so we can't even plan. We can't do anything. Nobody knows. They don't know whether to buy water and toilet paper, go to work. Nobody knows.
0: Why it's don't Why don't crap. you run for office? <laughs>
1: It's been contemplated. You, you know what? To be honest with you, here's—I'm here, not sure I could raise the amount of money. I think I'm a little bit like Trump, in the fact that you know Trump's a loudmouth. He is. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump is a loudmouth. He is loud. He's spoke. I mean, he, he's a CEO. You know what I mean? He runs businesses, and not everybody appreciates Trump's particular style of doing it. And I think I'm a little bit like him in the fact that you know I was raised in bars. I was raised. I mean, I came up as a young female in a predominantly male environment which caused me, you know, my language is colorful. My attitudes are colorful and I'm kind of like, I am who I am. And if you don't like it, don't come in the door. I'm cool.
0: Yeah, no. And Um, I think, I think that's what we lack is that backbone.
1: And I agree with you. I think, you know, there's so many and the politicians that, you know, we're backing and funding and helping with it's really a piece and they're all women and I'm, it just happened that way. And I'm like, you know, you guys have got to stand up. And I get that when you get up, there compromises have to be made, but you know what, Hopefully, hopefully, The voters will turn out in New Mexico in November. They will take a predominantly historically Democratic state and turn it red and send that message to the governor that, you know what? We're not happy and we're coming for you next because she's still there. I mean, if Biden wins, there's a chance she might go to D.C. because that's what she's been. You know, that's what she's interviewing for. Mm -hmm. There's a chance. There's other rumors. Things will happen. But if Trump wins, we've still got this governor for two more years, Yep. you know, and with the way that it's going right now. You know, I mean, it's horrible how do you get for business. How do you so get... So many people want to move.
0: So, and that's the thing is like, I I, I don't know how many conversations I've had where people are like, okay, you, you've preached it long enough. Like it's time for you to run for office. How do we get people like yourself, like me, uh, that there's a handful that I know that I talk to on a day-to-day basis that would be unbelievable politicians because they, they do have the backbone and they're willing to say what they think. But... Yeah, they, they inhaled when they were in college, or they, you know, they... Exactly.
1: Or, or the fundraising. I think, so we have a
0: plan... That was the next thing, is how do you get the money behind somebody like that?
1: So here's one of the things we're doing, you know, in cruises. and after November, we are starting on the city election, and we have people that are going to run, because a, cruises, the cruises, city politics makes the governor look like, you know, very conservative. Yeah. I mean, our, our people are so extreme liberal it is insane and Mm -hmm. it's killing our community you know it where where are you now oh that's right Del Valle, Valle, Texas Mm -hmm. Del City that's what happens when I read the shirt I, although I think they're going to rename the town pretty soon. But anyway, Jane Hilltown. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm no, 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 no. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, you moved to Texas to do this. And I think a big piece of this is.
0: It wasn't directly in defiance of where we were as a state, but I have understood the liberties of Texas. And I understand that, yes. that being the a Texan now, the, the opportunities that I have and the support that I feel from this state are twice that of where I grew up. My grandfather was. Freaking Lieutenant Governor of New Mexico for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as connecting yourself into that state, I should have been one of the persons that was able to work my way through the food chain quickly. Yeah. No, because... Well,
1: and that's because...
0: I got the right button.
1: Okay. There you go. We found it. That's also because, historically, our state... Our state has only been this extreme liberal for like the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah. So somebody had a very good point the other day. They were talking about the progressives, right? Because that's what we call the extreme liberals these days, the progressives. Well, the progressives, everybody likes progress. Progress is a happy word. That's a positive word. We support progress. That's why they named themselves the progressives. They really are the extremist left. Yeah. And now our state has been taken over by the extremist left. And so suddenly we have, you know, we have twice as many business regulations as they do in Arizona or Texas, like Mm -hmm. twice as many, I think we have like 167,000 on the books or something, you know, we have that much, we have high taxes, we have the highest minimum wages, you know, in, in, and increasing and increasing, you know, every time they sneeze and it's just ridiculous because you look at it and you say, no, New Mexico will never move forward until we get some people that understand business in there until we get people that are willing to stand up and cut the red tape and stop the socialist programs and stop the BS. And people have to understand if there are no jobs, nothing else matters. Absolutely. If there are no businesses, there are no jobs.
0: If you can't see the difference in that drive from Las Cruces, New Mexico to El Paso, Texas, the second mm-hmm. that you hit the state line, the world changes.
1: Absolutely. And my favorite is El Paso, Texas has a $7.50 minimum wage. And Las Cruces in New Mexico now have a ten dollar and fifty cent minimum wage. Well, guess what? Every job, every company that we in Las Cruces have gone after, are in Mavita, we have a little group that just goes after businesses. Every business. That yeah, we've I've, gone I've after, been a part of Mavita. They they they, they helped us. get us. They
0: helped us get going. But at the same time, as we look through the tape of what we have to do, I'm like, oh my gosh. There's no way that they can actually do enough to help bolster no, local they business. They can't. They can. Their hands are tied behind their back. Mm-hmm. They do a great job, but they don't have any support.
1: No, and their hands are tied behind their back. And you know what? Texas gives better deals. They have you know lower minimum wage, lower cost of goods, the whole thing. So people move. So we've got to take New Mexico and turn New Mexico into what I call, we can say business friendly. But really, we have to turn New Mexico into, it sounds bad, a business wet dream. We do. We need all those other people in the world that are looking for a place to move their company to see what can we do for you? How are you? Because our quality of life is low. Our schools are low. People aren't going to bring their employees to that. Mm -mm. All the wives in the world, you know, are not going to want to come. They're going to be like, what is this? I know you guys did a two
0: two hundred and fifty people in town. It's not the, the the strongest school district in the world, but at the same time, the quality of education that the kids can get here versus what they have to do if they go up into Otero County is drastic. Oh yeah, absolutely drastic. I was thinking if I still lived in Las Cruces and I still had and if I had my two children, Katie's like, I think we'd probably homeschool. You know, I was like, oh well, you're just you're not you know your your kids are not going to get the same blah blah blah. And I'm like. They're going to get a quality education and actually be able to know how to read and count by the mm-hmm. time they get into middle school. Whereas well, we're sitting, what,
3: 50th, yeah. 49th in 50th. education? Mm-hmm. 50th. We, we were going to go private school. Yeah. At least look at it, but it still wasn't a great option. Absolutely. As far as education goes.
1: Well, and right now, the only difference is private schools are in. I mean, they're in school. So we are. So here here's here's my very favorite. You the know,
0: governor's office is calling me right now.
1: I don't doubt that. Really? Yeah.
0: That's funny.
4: Hmm.
1: Are we on live? No. Oh.
3: <laughs> I'm all listening to you through Listening, yeah, through the phone.
1: That's trust, really awkward. Trust me, they do. I'm Perfect. not even Hey, remember the one who was under investigation by the feds? Yeah, they totally listen to your phone. Someday when we're totally off microphone, I'll tell you what we used to do because it was really fun. Anyway, back to my governor thing. So all the public schools are shut down, right? All the schools are shut down because we cannot have children. We cannot have children in the classrooms. It's too risky. But if you run a private school, guess what? Well, now you're a business. So now you educate kids for business so you can run a business so your kids can go to school because it's a business. Like, are you kidding me? That's the number one thing that has really pissed me off through this whole thing is that it's not the same. You know, I I, I literally I was OK with the governor's mandates and her stuff and shutting it down. And I get it. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe. OK, whatever. Right up until the moment when the protesters were OK. Yeah. They protested. I mean, my entire I have, you know, a company that makes one point five million dollars a year that is shut down right now because you can't have New Mexico has outlawed weddings and funerals and anything that more than 10 people can attend. But I can have 250 people in my restaurant. That's stupid. But either way, right when she said, oh, but like the protesters are out and that's acceptable. They're not transmitting the covid. We like the protesters at that point. Screw it. You have to. And I think really at that point, most of the people in the state said the same thing. Absolutely. If you're going to have a rule, have a rule for everyone. You don't have a rule. I mean, imagine, Jay, if you and I got mad and we got back in my car right now and we drove to Cruises. We'll take the boys with us because we need some more muscle. And we drove to Cruises and we decided there was some like the lions in front of city council. The lions are there, right? Those Mm -hmm. statues. And they offend us. And I don't like the lions because they eat people, eat things. We like to, And we all showed up and we put our straps around the lions and we drug the lions out and look at us go. Do you know what would happen? They would arrest our ass. Yep. But you can get all these crazies in Santa Fe and they can tear down something because the mayor had said they were going to take it down eventually. You know, it's got to be the same rule for everybody. And I think that's a big piece of it is that in New Mexico, with our current leadership, they are not giving the same rule for everybody.
0: It's a double standard.
1: Absolutely. I didn't see the governor's hair. I, it sounds stupid, and most women have talked about this the whole time. And actually, I just did my hair because I was protesting. But most m- most women in New Mexico were really pissed, and they noticed the fact that guess what? Governor never got any gray hair. Governor's hair didn't look like crap. Governor's nails were done the whole time. It's mm-hmm. got to be the same standard for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there we went. We went from the FBI to that to you know nails. But no, I think, and I think the hard part to just circle back to your thing. I think the hard part about trying to get people that are really good to run for office and who can treat it like a business and handle it is the fact that the campaign, you know, to campaign, I mean, that's, you know, it's a four or $5 million deal and probably even more nowadays, you know, the campaign finding that to get money is hard. You, I mean, you're on the road for a year and a half and most of us, you know, who run businesses, we have to work.
0: Yeah. Things have got to keep moving.
1: You know, we've got to work. We have to do that. And to be gone, you know, from our business to campaign, you know, stops a lot of people, and it also does the other. And it would, you know, I was having a thought the other, uh, talking the other day with one of my pack people, and I said, you know, we're talking about Yvette Harrell and Sochi Torres and how much they're spending. I mean, it's going to be insane to see. That's probably the most expensive race New Mexico's ever seen. And I said, wouldn't it just be easier? And before, and I, I don't think you have a lot of liberals that listen to this, but let's just yeah, we do. Before everybody gets crazy. I'm, it's a hypothetical situation, but wouldn't it be simpler and easier if instead of all this money going to advertising, that this money went back to the voters? Think about the economic stimulus we could have if nationwide, all the money that was being spent on political ads went to the people. Now, somebody said, well, is that buying votes? I said, not really, because everybody's doing it. But think about it. Think about the amount like what's Trump spending like nine million a week on Facebook. I can only imagine what, you know, Sochi and Yvette are spending in the total. We're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent trying to convince you at home to vote for a set of people. Right. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be easier if we just said, okay, there is no campaigning. You know, we're not going to buy hats. And all that money just went directly down to the people. However, we do it. I mean, there's some logistical things. Yes, it's buying votes, but if everybody's buying votes, who cares? That's where Canada's got it right,
4: because you can't start campaigning till I think it's about six months, about six months before elections. For the U.S., you're campaigning years. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Where where Canada, it's just six months.
1: Does Canada have like caps on how much they can spend? Uh,
4: Yeah, they don't have like the super PACs like you guys have here, and so ethics commissions looks into advertising and stuff with the parties. So it's a little more, it's a quick election run. It's very quick. And and it's nice because you're not bombarded for two years mm-hmm. with campaigning.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, you hear it so much here that you quit paying attention. So you're probably less educated as a voter here than you are in Canada. If you only have a short window to look at it, unless you're actively going out and researching each candidate.
0: Yeah. But how many people actively research their candidates? How many people truly understand the people that are in the offices that have been elected by them because they walked in and all they did is hit a button? They don't even know who the person is. Yeah, very no, little do any educating on, on who's
4: running or what they stand for. Yeah, it's just the party. I, I,
1: I will say that this year is probably, and we're seeing really high voter turnout. I will say this year is probably the first year that most people in New Mexico understand one concept elections have consequences yeah before this year nobody really cared you mm-hmm. know whatever whoever the governor is whoever the senator is i don't really care because they don't affect my life i'm a general working person they don't affect my life yeah right? but we're, we're all
0: hypersensitive now because now, everything that we've done is if anything that somebody else does that's an elected official has such a huge ripple effect on what absolutely. our life looks like
1: nobody i mean you and I, if we would have sat down in February of 2020 and said, you know, yes, drought's an issue. Yes, rising food costs is an issue for me. Yes, you know, liquor legislation is an issue, all these things. But not one of us would have ever thought that we are about to be shut down or severely stifled for seven months, going on seven months.
0: I was looking into to 2020 as our year. Me too. I was like, man, we, yeah, we have we got, got some things rolling now.
4: When was last time the U.S. had freedoms infringed
0: on um, like they have now? 1776.
1: Yeah. yeah. What and wasn't it? Aren't you guys like the three of you guys out here? Aren't you? weren't you totally shocked how everybody just rolled over?
3: Yeah. How quickly? How, how quickly, quickly, quickly everybody, everybody just changed? Just went,
1: oh, we're gonna get sick. Boop. Roll over. Take it all.
4: I think if you go back to the very first episode of the podcast, we talked about that quite extensively. Yeah. Our, you know, our thoughts on how long it would last and what's happening.
1: No, it, it, it is absolutely shocking to me. We put out a Memorial Day video um, with a bunch of people that, you know, all participating with the script. And the reason I did it, it got, you know, we got some flack, but we got a whole lot of views, but we got some flack on it. And, you know, I told people, I said, the reason I did this was because, you know, my grandfather left his family and went and fought in World War II, not for the money, not for that, because, He was protecting what is the idea and the spirit of America. Absolutely. And he would roll over in his grave if he saw these people who just have absolutely forgotten what it means to be an American. And I think that's so important. We've completely
0: lost the definition of what freedom truly means. We don't know what freedom means to us anymore.
1: No. And you know why? Because we handed it to them. Absolutely. Because we. Why
0: does small them. business struggle? Why do people not want to get into entrepreneurial roles? It's because they have let fear get in instead of understanding what it's truly like to do what they want to do, to take a management position in a company, to try to build yourself up as a person, as a family, as a community, as a business. People don't want to do that anymore.
1: They don't want to take the risk. No, it's scary. Yeah, because it's easier to sit there. But, I mean, people have missed the fight. They've missed the challenge. People are used to whatever you want you have right now or you can have in 24 hours because Amazon will bring it to you. But, you know, there's no sacrifice. There's no fight. There's no – and there and nobody sees the reward for it. There's no – you know, when we started handing out participation trophies to everybody and we stopped keeping score, we stopped creating winners. And when we don't create winners, we don't create anybody that What about
0: sacrifices. the losers, though? What about those losers, Marcy? You know,
1: that's not fair. I remember
0: watching the state championship game as we lost and knowing, well, it was my last year of high school, but still going and saying, you know what? I'm never going to put myself in the situation again. If I had to, if I got to put my cleats back on and strap a helmet onto my head, I guarantee you I would have played with a lot more ferociousness than I would have that last time. Exactly. I would have won that
1: last year. You game. probably would have gotten up earlier and you would have ran harder and you would have lifted more weights and you would have worked a little bit harder. Absolutely. Right. How, do you,
0: how do you build a farm from 10 acres to what we're doing today? It's not because we sit here and we have good ideas and good thoughts. It's because we get up every morning and we put our boots on and mm-hmm. we do what we do best.
1: I've learned more and I have failed epically. I'll tell you, I'm the first person to tell you, I have failed epically on multiple fronts. And you know what? I have learned more from my failures. One person, so my midlife crisis bar that I opened was called M5 because it was my fifth you know, the fifth thing I'd done. And it was M5 and it was fabulous. And yeah. it, was, it, it was wonderful. We had a great time. The inside was beautiful. It was not in a great location. Lots of good cocktails. It was really good cocktails. I learned a very, very valuable lesson. You know what it was? Never be your own best customer when you own a bar. <laughs> yeah, that was it. So I learned a lot of lessons. So M5 closed. Again, it closed during our IRS incidents. It closed and the signs were up on that on that building for three years. And people ask me to go, why didn't you take the sign down? And I said, because I drive that belt by that building every morning on my way to Starbucks. And every morning I need to have a reminder. Don't do that again. Here's your screw ups. Here's what you did. Learn from it and don't do it again. Yeah. Our life should be littered with that. Our lives. should. I mean, hardship is what makes character. It's what makes you an achiever. By God, you're an
0: American, Marcy.
1: I try, baby. I try. And all these other people are just, you know, we've just made a bunch of soft little whiners.
4: Well, you look at there's a whole generation that's never experienced hardship. Like we all grew up in the 70s and 80s, early 90s. We grew up poor. Our parents grew up poor. Our grandparents, you know, they were poor. And we, you know, if, if we were bored, like we talked about, you got a butt whooping and had to go to work. Where now, there, there's just no hardship.
0: Well, think about it as we were, as we were building ourselves as a nation and we've got to wrap this thing up. We are way over time. The, the thing that, that baffles me is when America came together and it's its strongest when we were at our lowest points. December 7th, 1941, Japanese mm-hmm. bomb Pearl Harbor. All of a sudden you see the greatest push in the nation's history. We talk about what Trump has been able to do over the last three years and how it's brought us back and all of this stuff. But think about it this way. Men and women died. In front of all of us, of course, we weren't around in those days, but at the same time, it gave us this push of nationalism, which people are so scared of. And I try to 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 not be beat your chest American in some ways. The biggest thing that we've lost is that sense of unity because we lost something You look at what happened in Vietnam. We lost miserably because we could not get our country together and unified. We go into the Persian Gulf and it's like, well, why are we in the Persian Gulf? People are coming back. Suicide rates uh, among vets are still skyrocketing. It's because we have a nation have not had to... I correlated a lot with the Roman empire and the fact that we lay around and we eat our sandwiches and we just talk about how great we are instead of people actually getting out there and putting themselves on the line. There's a lot of the things that I talk about, Hey, why don't I run for political office? Marcy, why don't you run for political office? It's time for people like you to stand up. It's time for people to go ahead and say, you know what? I know I've got a lot to lose and there's a lot going on, but if we're going to change it, we've got to do
1: it. You know, I, I said this to some other people and I'll say it again. And this is a little bigger, you know, uh, place to say it but as i i as i have said before i said if you find the money i'll run you know and that's what i told people i said if you get enough money, if you get the money together and and we have a seed then i will run and i will go run and a lot of people told me you know well, you don't want to run but like, you know my managers well don't run because it might sacrifice the business don't run because we can't do this and there becomes a certain point where it's like you know what my family lives here. My children live here. I don't have it. I don't get to leave New Mexico. You know, I love it. It's my state. It's my home. My restaurants are there. The debt's there. You cannot pick up those restaurants and move them on a semi like you could if they we were built in Arkansas. I already tried. <laughs> it won't work. <laughs> uh, trust me. I, I thought about it. But, you know, the pieces we you're right. We have to go fight.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you, I mean, and that's that's it. We're, we're finally at a spot in our nation where we've got to put up or shut up. And it's a tough, it's a tough deal. And we've, we've had to, we've had these talks, me and Brandon and and MJ and Ross, and all of us have sit around and talked about it multiple times about, you know, what's the next step? What do we do? Instead of us sitting here worrying about stockpiling enough ammunition and making sure that we're doing the right thing to protect our families. The biggest thing that we can do is actually make a stand and do something. Yeah, Marcy, it's time for you to make a stand. I'll help you find the money.
1: Thank you, Jay. I'll run. If you help me find the money,
0: I'll help you find the money. Um, with that, I've got two questions for you. Yes, sir. Marcy just said she's going to run for all of us. <laughs> um, that did, I mean, It only I, took I, us an hour and 30 I minutes I to get it, it out of you. I on your
1: show. That's because, I've, you know, there's a, there's a Marcy for Governor Grassroots Club. There's a Marcy for Mayor Club. I mean, it's really quite, I found it quite humorous. But, you know, screw it. I've done stupider stuff. <laughs> you should put an applause button on that one.
0: <laughs> I don't remember which one it was. I'm so confused.
1: Oh, no, no, that was all, gosh <laughs> <dang> it. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, I'm gonna buy you a labeler
0: me. I know, please do. I'm colorblind too, where's, and they're all color coded. <laughs> I was like,
1: where's Katie? We need a label
0: maker." I know, I know. If like her cabinets, everything will be perfect. Uh two questions. Yes. First question, what's your biggest fear in life?
1: I think my biggest fear in life is getting to the end and realizing that I didn't do enough. You know, not that I failed. I don't, I don't, obviously I don't, I don't fear failure. It is a motivator for me, but I don't fear it. You know, it's not, but that it's getting to the end and realizing that I could have done more, that I should have done more.
0: Excluding a religious figure or a family member, who is your biggest hero?
1: Oh, dang. Okay. A family member or a religious figure. Um, you know what I, so I think my biggest hero right now on the spot would be, and I'm going to say Barbara Hubbard and I'm going to tell you why. So for those people that don't know, Barbara Hubbard is a legendary legend in the concert promotion legend and all that. The reason like, I'm going to, there's actually a couple of them, Barbara Hubbard, Wanda Bowman, these women. And the reason why is these women were brought up in a time where the women stayed home. The women, you know, took care of their families. If they worked, they were teachers. They didn't do much. The husbands were dominant. The husbands made the decisions. They did that. And these women, you know, Barbara Hubbard ends up being a legendary concert promoter in the time.
0: Huge concerts.
1: Like massive, massive. Yeah. You know, Garth Brooks only came to Las Cruces because Barbara Hubbard called him. Absolutely. And he owed her a favor. You know, and he loves her. Mother Hubbard. And But these women did it. And they didn't do it running around, burning their bras, screaming for equality, saying, you have to be nice to me because I'm a woman. They just stood up and did it. You know, Barbara Hubbard was an instructor at the university and she started the programs and she started doing the concerts and she just did it. You know, she didn't ask her husband for permission. She didn't, uh, you know, she didn't apologize. She didn't do anything. And she didn't run around screaming that she deserved the opportunity because she was a female. She just did it. Wanda Bowman did the same thing. Wanda Bowman and both of these women are still alive. They're still doing it. So they are still very much my heroes. You know, I have people ask me all the time and they say, well, how is it as a woman? You know, as a woman, how was it? You know what? I I came up in a male dominated industry and I've never felt that I didn't get something because I was female. You know what? I worked harder than everybody else. I got the same rewards because I worked hard as I would have. And that's why those women are my heroes, because they didn't ask for special treatment. They just saw it. They saw they were good at it and they hustled it every single day. Day and they're still hustling it. Barbara Hubbard is ninety-four years old. And I had a meeting with her yesterday about her next big plan and what she's gonna do and what's this and that. <laughs> you know, like she's I mean, she's still going. You oh, know? Yeah. And she says, I'm not done yet. And I was like, Absolutely not. You Mar- know?
0: Marcy Dickerson, you have put a voice out there today. Well, thank you. You've just laid it laid it, laid it thick, and that's exactly what this world needs more of.
1: Well, thank you for inviting
0: me. as a lifelong friend. Thank you for coming all the way out here. Spending a little bit of time with us. Well, I'm looking you. forward to watching on Facebook as you start to uh, announce your, your candidacy.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we just need to send a message out to all my haters. Thank you. We will have t-shirts for sale that says I hate Marcy because we, we have some very I have some very dedicated ones. Oh, I do, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we actually had to call the FBI on one. Ooh. Yeah. They took pictures where they were going to kill me on my own farm.
1: OK, well, your haters are a little more crazy than mine.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, wild world. So let's just wow. prepare ourselves for that. I know some people. Uh, I'm going to listen to this voicemail from the governor's office and see exactly what I just happened. That, yeah, that's so crazy. Uh, that is crazy. And that was not made up, by the way. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Marcy, again, thanks. Thank you for having me. To you two boys. Any closing thoughts? Can we be friends?
1: Yeah. <laughs> He
0: doesn't, want to get he doesn't want to end up on a list.
4: I don't want to be on
1: the list. There it is. <laughs> I'm like, absolutely. I wait, I can't wait to hear the voicemail of the governor. I know. I think that's yeah. important.
0: Okay. Well, from all of us and out here in the middle, good luck. God bless.